It's something that you don't forget. They've been hopeful before, only to be let down. I think they knew early on that it was going to be a challenge to solve this. The story of the unsolved homicide staying in the headlines and in their minds. Well, it's frustrating for us and certainly frustrating for the family. The tips have stopped pouring in, but there is timeless evidence. Never leaving, all of these years removed, but some of the details, the particulars, blurry as time clicks by at the same pace, but minds slow with age. Maybe not in my lifetime. Sooner or later, sooner or later, they'll go. What happened on that January night, shaping a family, rupturing it too. Well, we waited at the store that night. They would not let me go in. A single man, a singular event. A single sibling left to shoulder the load. It's just something that I haven't been able to handle. I'm Fox 8's Michael Hennessy. How blood being spilled, a life being taken, still ripples as the years wash away in episode four of A Country Store Killing. Seems almost like it was last week today. Yeah. Because today was, is uh, almost identical to the day he got killed. The Fogelman's store is Fogelman's no more. Passed down to the heirs of Wade Fogelman shortly after his death in September of 2013, before being sold to someone outside of the family a couple years later. Whenever we were cleaning out that store, all that stuff, you know, got thrown away over at uh, Coldwell Landfill. That's mm -hmm. where it's at. It's in the ground. Tom Fogelman, buried in the Mount Zion Baptist Church Cemetery, and just two turns from where that store stood, where the building still stands. His mother, father, brother, sister-in-law, all buried there too. They built that store, we lived there, all grew up there. The only one left. That's our home. Joanne, the middle child. And that's our dad and me and him. Now living a mere five minutes away. But that's how it was right after my dad died. A right hand turned out of the property that's where she home. was raised. That's where we started out. A trip a few miles south, a left hand turn, okay. and you're there. Inside the home where she raised her kids. Okay. A binder in it, pictures of her, her siblings, her parents. This random stuff. But as the pages turn, Newspaper clippings preserved, reading, Stranger may be linked to murder. Woman may have seen grocer killer. Police search for clues. Clues scarce in Fogelman murder. State offers reward in case. Police try new tactics in case. Murder probe DNA. Murder probe turns to DNA. New officer takes on old cases. Sheriff asks for help in case. A progression as years slipped away. I don't know, you don't have to get no more you want. As investigators became more desperate. As far as what the property actually looked like at the time, because I don't have anything that really depicts what was there and what wasn't. Well, this is what was there when we grew up. Okay. Until my dad died. And after that, it started going and I never saw a picture with the grass grown up and everything like was on TV. Mm -hmm. But it got bad looking. Joanne, sitting down with the latest of those investigators to take it on at the same table where that binder is spread out. 
a side table in the living room. On top of it sits a Rubik's Cube. Only one side soft, the orange one. My youngest brother, he had these three youngins. Three. Okay. Actually, four. Well, yeah, actually four. Yet. One it was. She was still there. She was still there, too, yeah. But after uh, Mom got to where she couldn't do, they began their work. And they that now lone sibling trying to give the most detailed answers to the questions that the detective had written out the day before. Them youngins were youngins, and she couldn't handle them then. Their parents didn't handle them. They'd bring them there and put them out. They put them down, put them out uh, right down here. At the drive right to here and put them out right here. And I can remember one of them telling me that I didn't know the times that they had cried wanting to be with their mom and daddy when they would put them out down here and drive off and leave them. But they brought them to mama so they could do what they wanted. And basically just turned them loose. And she got where she couldn't. You can't handle somebody that's mm -hmm. three or four times bigger than you are and, mm -hmm. you know, they're going to do this. So, you know, she couldn't even keep food in the house. Questions about entrances, like a feed door, which once swung open on the side of the store, but unwanted guests forcing that door closed for good. These youngins would break in so many times through that door, getting whatever they wanted out of the store, that uh, Tommy had my husband here to, to nail it shut. Okay, do you remember the t around the time frame when you guys nailed it shut or stopped using it? Do you remember, Freyna? What? When you went down there at uh, Tommy's and uh, nailed that feed door, feed room door shut, and the bathroom door. Do you yeah. Remember? yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember how long? Hmm. No. Okay. It was sometime after Mama died, wasn't it? Or was it before? It might have been before she. Died. It might have been before she died. Okay. Memories getting fuzzy all this time later, but grudges, feelings, emotions remain. If you had to describe your relationship with your brother and just the community around him, how would you describe it? My, with, with this one, this Tommy. Yes, ma'am. It was fine with him. Me and him got along pretty good, but I don't know the little one. Tom Fogelman had cheated death. He just, I don't know, I, he's hard to explain, he was, he was just different, he just wasn't your average person. But he, everybody liked him or seemed to. His own hands on the wheel, he pushed limits for no good reason, often ending up overturned. One of the last wrecks he had was up here on 49. He spun it out twice going around that pyramid he said he was going to take it at 90, wasn't he? Yeah, he was going to take it at 90. About 85 would have done it. Anyway, the third time, he put it about 150 foot down in a sweet gum thick. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was his money. He was working at the time. Before his family was turned upside down at the hands of somebody else. Well, we waited at the store that night. They would not let me go in. Uh, my youngest brother went in. Him and his wife both, I think, before the cops ever got there. The narrative of Wade Fogelman being at the scene before deputies arrived doesn't match what the initial incident report says. 
neither does this following story. The incident report lists the names of the two women who were the first to find Tom dead. We won't name them, but reached out to both of them. The first said she would share her memories of that night at first. She had theories, said she knew who was behind the murder, but backed out the day we were supposed to meet for an interview. The second woman talked to us over the phone, didn't want to be recorded, but didn't have a problem with us sharing how she remembers that night. Contrary to what the incident report says, she told us there was no initial trip to the store where they saw Tom and he was still alive. She says she was the one who went inside the store, and normally Tom would yell out to let people know he was there, but this time there was no yell. So she went back outside, got her friend, and the friend walked in first before yelling, go, go, go. She'd seen Tom's lifeless body. They ran out, went to the first house with a light on, and called 911. She says Wade was there shortly after. Brutal. Uh, the way they done it, uh, it, it makes me bitter. There wasn't, no, wasn't no sense in that. Saying he must have heard it on a police scanner. Saying he was screaming. The times also don't match up very well. The narrative says the women first went there at 5 in the evening then came back 45 minutes later. That's when they found Tom dead, so about 5.45. But the report says it wasn't reported until 6.41. There are houses where they could have called 911 right across the street, so is that just an error? Or where did that hour or so go? Yeah, I think about him every day. You know, I wish I knew who done it. The rest of the family was called. Wade and his wife were allowed inside after deputies got there, as was Joanne's husband, Fred. Had a big cut. Big you didn't cut. see that. Didn't see, I didn't see that. They told us right that there. he had a big but thing across the back. Side of here, that and his hands, and uh, he got he got chopped up pretty good. Probably a drug head. Yeah, no, we don't know. And I don't guess we it could be have been somebody that wanted money. Could have been either one of them. Don't have a clue. Joanne didn't go in. Neither did their daughter Jennifer, at least not that night. They say Tom's body was removed from the store around three in the morning. They carried him out on a stretcher that night. Yeah, they carried him on a stretcher, but I don't know how they did it. But they did go in the next day and remember that day better than the thousands that have come and gone since. It was shocking. Mm -hmm. It was yeah. very, very shocking for, you know, a lot of people. And then, too, like she said, you know, there's a, a certain amount of fear that goes along because you don't know. Mm -mm. You don't know a motive. <laughs> no, you don't know you why. Don't, you don't know nothing. You know. You just get done like this and there you go. The body was gone, but the blood which once pumped through Tom's veins was still there. Somebody had to clean it, and that somebody became Jennifer. They lay a sheet over it which pretty much he laid there and bled out. Mm -hmm. So you're talking every bit of blood he had in his body. Or all that would come out of So he bled out. They lay a sheet over it, and here's two pair of gloves. Mm -hmm. That's what you get left with. That's what we got left with. Yeah. So anyway, um, you know, you just do kind of what you have to do. Um, you know, I mean, and... Some, you know, 
mean, you have to look at it like sometimes things are not always pleasant. And it ain't always what you want either, you know? Uh, but, um, but yeah, it's, um, it's something that you don't forget. The family get-togethers, which became few and far between after Tom, Joanne, and Wade's parents were both gone, also stopped. Wade's heart stopped, but Joanne had to find a way to carry on. Well, all of it's gone now, and I'm the only one left except for my immediate family here. Uh, it just affects you. I can't say exactly how it does it, but it does. Most every day, some way or, you know, another. I think it changes you as a person and not in a positive way. Because, you know, I mean, you know, it's easy for people, oh, you know, you should remain hopeful. Well, oh, yeah. you know, until don't you're in that up. position, you, you know, yeah. you don't know what you're faced with. Um, so, yeah. They've waited and watched as other murders have been closed. Well, right after Tom got killed, there's another one got killed over at uh, Gibsonville. Oh, yeah. Same, same, about the same setup. But they called him. He didn't have sense enough to get rid of his. Uh, he had hit the boot of his car, trunk yeah, of his car. Had the, had the evidence in the car in his car. But we don't know if anything was taken down there at that place or not. There was so much junk and stuff in there. We don't know. You're talking about your store. Yeah, I don't know if it's. I don't. I don't have a clue. And Joanne doesn't call the Alamance County Sheriff's Office as much as she used to, but remembers a time where. She was much more optimistic. And I have thoughts about it. Yeah. But I still know there's nothing I can do, you know. Much more anxious. Well, I don't get frustrated with them. I just call them every once in a while and uh, ask if they have anything on Tommy Fogelman's case. And uh, they'll either say, uh, we got so and so looking at, or they don't tell who it is, but we're look, we're talk, we're gonna talk with somebody, or no, we don't have anything, Miss Fogelman, and I say, well, thank you, and I hang the phone up, and that's how it is. Mm -hmm. And I don't call him as often now as I used to, but I used to call him every week right after he got murdered. I called him every few days, and it was same old, same old then, and and I just tried to refrain from it, you know, and keep myself thinking about it or worrying about it, but knowing there's nothing I can do, I just let it go and try to put off. And then I, every once in a while it gets on your mind and, you know, really on your mind. And so you want to call up and see, you got anything on it? And that one, that one fellow you called, he'd, he'd, uh, get up, he'd get on somebody else's. Yep, this one, one detective was on it. And I ain't saying he wasn't trying. He more than likely was. But every time I would call and ask him if he had anything on Tommy's case, he would always tell me no, or he was going to talk to somebody or something like that. But then he would always come up. Well, I can tell you about, we solved this case. Uh, the woman that got killed so-and-so with a piece of, do you, you know what uh, tinsel is that people used to hang on a Christmas tree? Mm -hmm. That solved the case. Whoever murdered the woman 
had walked by the tree and a piece of it had clung to his pants. And that's how they solved the murder. Well, thank I, I wish there'd have been some tinsel in the store. <laughs> you know, maybe I wouldn't know. But there wasn't, I don't guess. <laughs> no tinsel, but maybe a glimmer of hope in a detective named Tommy. Still slowly working her way through everything left behind and binders by those who couldn't deliver for the family. And I wish her the best, and I hope right. she does solve it. Absolutely. But, you know, I mean, we just wait for that day. And as Tommy continues her search for answers, Joanne tries to rewind her mind, flipping through the memories, some fueled by the words on the pages she keeps in her binder. My youngest brother, though, uh, he he would have been the, head, uh, the one that had the enemies. I was about an enemy with him because he tried to talk to me like he was my dad. You know, you ought to do this and you ought to do this. And I would say, but Wade, I'm two years older than you are. I don't need to hear nothing from you. You know, he didn't need to tell me. Always hoping that one of these days will be the one when her door swings open just for someone to walk through to tell her her brother's case is closed. It's like, a, it's the qu same question I've always had. I've always said that knowing how Tommy was, uh, he was, and he was sort of frail at the end. All that had it done, you know, pushing him over here, I'm getting whatever I want, you know, or whatever. I don't know what they got, but they could have done that and just took his money or took his beer or whatever they came for and told him, you keep your mouth shut or I'll come back, you know, and left the man alone. But like I say, I've always wanted to know, why did you want to do this? What did he do to you? We'll check back in periodically with the sheriff's office, just as Joanne is sure to do, and let you know if anything changes with the case. If you like the podcast, please spread the word. Someone, somewhere, knows something. Again, if you would like to see this story told through video, see what the snow camp area looks like, what the scene was like that night, what Tom looked like before someone beat him to death, head to our website, that's myfox8.com, and search A Country Store Killing, which is written by me, Michael Hennessy, edited by Chris Weaver, and our executive producer is Kevin Daniels.